Hi, I'm Anthony. And I'm Sane. And you're listening to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by Midpack Runners. All Midpack Runners. And a couple of weeks ago, Thane was running a long way. The Pennine way, to be exact. This is Runners on Trail, episode 9. So we're back, and I'm sorry once again that we missed another month. Uh, work once again gets in the way, but hey, on top of that, we were following Thane running Spine Fusion. <laughs> How are you, mate? I'm not too bad. It's been um, a couple of weeks now, uh, and I think I'm pretty well fully recovered, to be honest. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, in actual fact, I wasn't feeling too bad at the end, apart from being extremely tired and having extremely sore feet. I bet you were. And uh, and you've kept your race beard, which I think is fantastic. Do you think it looks good? I think it looks fantastic. The general consensus is it looks good. Anyway, t- tell us about the race. Right, okay, so Spine Fusion is a 268-mile non-stop foot race up the Pennine Way from Edale, south of Manchester, to Kirkyathon in the Scottish borders. The mother of the race, if you like, is known as The Spine, which is done in winter, it's done in January. That's been running for seven years. This one is the summer variant of the race, and this is the second edition of the race. And in this particular instance, it took place in an oven. It was hot. (laughs) It was baking. I mean, it's been baking in the UK for the last few weeks. Yeah, it was utterly, utterly hot. Yeah, I don't think any of us were expecting that kind of heat, and it was quite still air as well, so it was warm. Yeah. So... You have to get up there the uh, the evening before the race starts. The race starts on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock and there's a race briefing in the evening. So whilst there are over 100 places available for Spine Fusion, actually, with it only being the second edition, uh, there's only actually 30 runners registered. Uh, there's also a sister race uh, called Spine Flare taking place at the same time, which covers the first 108 miles up to checkpoint 2. And there was about 35 runners uh, doing that one as well and then in the morning it's a case of getting up early getting your stuff together going back to the uh, registration dumping off your bag they then tie on a tracker so we were tracked all the way up the course the batteries in them last for uh, well over a week it meant that everyone could watch online and i could take up everybody's week yeah it was really weird it, there was the, we had this little online community on whatsapp that were watching you the whole week watching your little dot move and then it was quite cool. If you stopped for a period, it t- they put little Zs next to it like you were sleeping. <laughs> it, was, it was quite funny. It was quite nice, actually, knowing people have got your back kind of thing. When I got back, um, we made a couple of very small navigational errors, added up to about a mile, mile and a half in total. Um, uh, but people were watching me in the office when I suddenly went off route. And this guy's like, oh, God, I need to let him know. I need to let him know. Um but we realised before anyone contacted us or anything. But um, but yeah, it's quite funny knowing people are watching. And it was nice to see some of the pictures. You know, I think we got a real feel for how beautiful the course is. Yeah. So I, I did a usual trick of setting up a WhatsApp group um, with family and friends. Um, uh, it was really nice just to send the odd photograph and give an update message and you guys sending words of encouragement, etc. Um, or not. Kind of, or not, yeah. It's all good. So um, 30 runners... It starts, say, 8 o'clock in the morning. It was a nice, clear day. In fact, let's, let's just cut to the chase. It was clear throughout. There was never a cloud in the sky. OK, we've got 20 seconds to go. We'll do a big 10 countdown. Uh, everyone feeling good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, we're going to have someone doing a rich lending at the start, so are we ready? Five, four, three, two, one, go! So this was the first bit that was a bit weird with WhatsApp, with the trackers and the WhatsApp group, because everybody shot off, um, but your tracker had you still fixed at the start. And so we're all on there going, what's wrong? Is he not moving? Why is he not moving? What's going on? You know, everyone, everyone then you know, wondering whether you've gone off one of your famous, famous nervous poos before the start of the race <laughs> and just missed the start of the race. Suddenly you pinged up the course. It was, yeah. God, I, I never knew It's all about attention at the beginning. Yeah. 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 That's funny, isn't it? It was good. I, th- I think I, I just started fairly laid back. You see people absolutely sprinting off and stuff, but crikey it's such a long way it's ridiculous you know at the end that the gap between finishes is going to be like measured in hours not minutes or seconds um so how quickly you start is kind of irrelevant but i guess you'll you end up setting your pace and then grouping up potentially with people who are a similar speed but it was really nice to actually start i've been really nervous about this race for a number of months now and it's actually affected me physiologically as well a little bit but actually, as soon as the race starts and you're up there and you're doing it for real rather than thinking about it, it's so much nicer. So I was just glad to get going. The first section is a long section, about 49 miles to Hebden Bridge. And that goes across and up Kinder Scout, which is quite famous in its own right. It's quite a flat topped hill and it's full of peat bogs and stuff, although the trail is a bit protected now in a number of places. So I started off casually, probably about two thirds back. I was just very consciously taking my time. Uh, I'd had new shoes, didn't I? I changed my shoes two weeks before the start of the race, which is... Which is dumb. (laughs) And we would not recommend that kind of approach. No, never. But my shoes I was going to wear, which was my Salomon Sense Pro Max, I'd worn them on Towpath 100. And for the second time in a row on a long race, I'd wrecked my feet with blisters. So I was taking some advice from Stuart, who is someone I run on Cotswolds Way Century with. And he'd switched to Ultras, which are the foot-shaped shoes. Uh, um, was raving about them and he was wearing the Injinji socks, the kind of toed socks. And, and I thought that might help because I typically get loads of blisters on my on my toes. Um, so I took the plunge and got the shoes and I'd been running in them in a couple of weeks uh, around home and, and also a little bit in the Mulvans. And they seemed they seemed good. Also, people have been saying quite a lot on this race that it's so long that actually your feet swell and therefore you need larger shoes. But they don't really grow in length, your feet. They grow in width. Uh, And there's so much width in these shoes that I thought I might be able to do the whole race in them. So anyway, although I had three pairs of shoes with me, had a couple of Salomons, which I could have worn, I decided I would start in the Ultras and I wore them throughout. And they were, on the whole, really good. I did end up with sore feet. But no, so that was the shoe I was wearing. I was wearing the uh, Lone Peak 3.5s. Yeah, so consciously I was starting easy and also I was making sure that the, the the laces and the pressure in my foot was balanced off. So actually over that first section, the first kind of eight, nine, ten miles or so, I stopped three times to just rebalance the pressure in my shoe and I was very happy for people to go past me and the rest of it. So um, 
So I've got a little bit, a few recordings of some of the energy and uh, people I spoke to. I spoke to um, Ian for a little while, who I'd uh, met up with the night before in the pub, etc. And also a chap called Alan. And it was only when I got back that I realised I'd actually spoken to Alan right near the start. So difficult to predict. I mean, I've done 300s before, but well, I didn't finish the last one, to be fair. It's only seven weeks ago. Thames past 100. Oh, it's really hot, but it's just flat and dull. I know the path well. I've done 284 three times. Oh, wow, okay. And I've got that again in August. So. Oh, I might have seen you on that one. Oh, I was eyeing no. up that one last year. Eh? I was eyeing up that one last ah. year. I like it kind of self supporting. Yeah. And it's just no, like, no fuss. Just get up and do go. Yeah. Windy Hill and how far? 32.57. And we're having a good time, aren't we, really? Taking it easy. Yeah, not much running, but nice, good pace. Yep. So thank you very much indeed. <laughs> I don't worry, I'll get loads. Oh, I've been to like a hundred times before to me at the end. But uh, yeah, awesome. So that first section, we did reasonably quickly, about 15 hours. I say we were we were towards two thirds of the way back. I think when we got to Hebden Bridge, uh, we'd started that section at eight in the morning. Got to Hebden Bridge approaching midnight, and we'd made the strategy decision not to stop at Hebden Bridge. Uh, traditionally, there's a lot of it's people arriving there all the time and leaving all the time. It's quite a noisy place, and to be honest with you, wasn't feeling that tired. So during that leg one, I'd uh, met up with Alan. Alan was. Uh, I think keen to do it with somebody and and I was very open to that as well and we had a very similar speed and race strategy so we kind of said yeah we'll work work together for a little while Uh, we were going with another chap also called Alan uh, but he was doing flair and he just he was uh, taking a bit of a rest so we were in Hebden Bridge I think for about it was about an hour and 45 minutes um, wow which is a bit longer than I thought um, but you do need to sort your kit out. You do need to eat. I needed to get my feet sorted out. I did have a blister and was a little bit sore. They weren't in a terrible state, but uh, I did need to do some orientation and bits and pieces. And there genuinely is work you have to do to recharge your backpack, as it were, in terms of food and batteries and stuff. It might have been an hour and a half, but it was it was longer than I thought in terms of an hour. But you have already done like a 50 miler. You, you know, it, it is... Yeah. <laughs> You know that, that that's uh, getting on for a fifth of the course. Just not coming out. Do you enjoy this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it will help in the in the end. In the end. Yeah, it's very like this then. So But like I've literally gone through the staring out the other side, nothing coming out. There, so what? Bit, so, like, like, yeah, I think yeah. Yeah. it's like a little bit here as well. Do you, yeah. want, do you want a big, big one for all of this? Because okay. this looks so. Yeah, well. this is a bit tense. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So it's oh. Oh. Because you. Yeah, that'd be great for my podcast. You, you I might put that bit in. <laughs> if he doesn't mind. <laughs> so we headed off. 
back into the night and, and now people are starting to spread out kind of thing and uh, we did that whole next section then up to Hadraw which is at 108 miles and I think that was the hardest section it just took a long time we took well over 24 hours so that took about 30 hours to do that section yeah it's about 59 miles in length uh, but you're going through the heat of the day the next day through Malham. Uh, there's a small checkpoint at Malham Tarn. And then you've got Penny Ghent uh, to go up and over and Thornton and Horton, Ribblesdale, etc. And then Cam Road. Cam Road is a long 50 mile section into Hadraw. And that takes that just takes an age. So it's like half one in the morning, I think. Um we're heading up onto Cam Road to get from Thornton in Ribblesdale, Thornton in Ribblesdale, I can't remember, um, to Hard Raw, um, which is checkpoint two, where we believe there's some beds, because um, not many people are staying there. Um, we were told it was going to be tents, but that would be great. But we are very tired. So, mostly with Alan today, the two of us. Um... What's your name, sorry, mate? Les. Les? Yeah. Sorry. So, how are we feeling? Not too bad, but looking forward to getting to bed. Yeah. And a shower and something to eat. Apart from that, we're all good to go. Because we've been going for nearly 48 hours. Yes. And I think we've had, well, I've had one hour and five minutes sleep. Yeah. And we don't think you fell asleep at all. No. I've shut my eyes and that was it, I think. And as you tried to get your head down in... Um... Oh, yeah, I tried to get my head down in uh, Ebden Bridge. But uh, it was a little bit too noisy for me, so... It was, I had to just get up and get going. So we reckon we got another four hours on here. Yeah, I would say so. It'll say, I don't look at the map. No. I just want. Want it to finish. Just I'm want it. Onto that, onto that road, going a bit faster. Right. That's Cam, Cam Road. It's a straighter road, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's quite well, quite smooth as well, isn't it? Okay. But that track, it's, and then the track coming off is just one big long track in it, upside it. Uh, Right. But it's quite a top of the left hand side of it. Yeah. Because it was bloody windy coming through here. You know I mean? And then we've got some fields to get through and walk away down and then round. Hawes. Then walk away out of Hawes. It's just nice to get into a village though, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It'll, it'll be, be light. Street light. Well, it'll be light then, won't it? Civilization. It'll be like four or five o'clock, so. Yeah. Or maybe later. Could maybe rob some milk off the somebody's doorstep. <laughs> What was the main thing I think on that section was tiredness towards the end. We'd been on our feet for like 44 hours by the time we got to Hadraw. And that was the tiredest I've ever been, ever. I didn't hallucinate, but I did end up with a bit where bright objects were floating around in dark objects. So just some lights which looked like they um, uh, a forest site, for example. It's like two in the morning. Looked like they were all tractors moving around. They weren't. It was just fixed lights. Also, there was a gate 
lit strongly in the moonlight against a dark recess and that gate in my head was moving up and down by several meters and left and right so no hallucinations but you could tell your brain was getting really tired and fixing things together mm. and we'd actually yeah so that's pretty much like a hallucination to me mate but there you it? go yeah i someone said it was an is it an illusion stuff um Oh no, that was it. On the illusion, you get you. I kept seeing cats' faces all the time, and it was just things that were real, but just kept looking like cats' faces. Your brain just goes, "Oh, it's a cat. Oh, it's a cat. Oh, it's a dog." And they weren't, um, and I knew they weren't. They weren't hallucinations, but your brain just taking shortcuts all the time. So we had a strategy of when we got to Hadraw of actually taking a decent sleep, and we planned to have a four-hour sleep, which we duly took. One of the reasons for doing that was, a yeah, we pushed through two nights worth of travelling on the trail. But also there were beds in this one. Uh, we didn't have to sleep in tents. So it was a good location to actually stop. So got our feet sorted out. Medics and, uh, who were every checkpoint. There's actually 12 medics assigned to the whole race, which was incredible. Bearing in mind from that point on, there was only 30 runners. Or actually, only, only 29 actually um, actually started of the 30. So you've almost got half a medic. And these medics, they're all doctors, nurses or paramedics. Uh, who've given up their week to look after you they're actually all on holiday and they're doing it to get experience and enhance their cv and and people who are interested in doing expedition uh, medicine and also um, helping with kind of overseas aid and stuff like that so um, yeah it was great and you get to know them really well so what were you eating i mean you can't carry enough food for, for seven days so so what are you eating yeah, and if you're eight, you know, if your aid stations are 24 hours apart, you, you can't rely on them either. No, so at aid stations, did the obvious thing of eating as much as I could, and normally I'd have well one full or two meals if I could. They were certainly uh, able to give you a couple of meals in this particular instance because the number of runners I had with me during the legs, I had some gels, which to be honest, I only took one on the whole route. I was using Tailwind, and I typically filled one up beforehand and i had three others with me so we were obviously drinking a lot of water in the heat and where were you getting that from although i had various means to take water i had filters with me and stuff the course was bone dry i did the whole of the pennine way without getting my feet wet which was ridiculous for anyone that knows the pennine way because it's full of bogs and all kinds of things so on this race you have to stop in cafes to get food and things like that you're allowed to deviate from the path by 500 meters um, no more than that so you're able to time hitting shops and things but you can there are places and villages where you can actually get water um, but the the race organizers Montaigne who were fantastic actually put in some extra water drops as well knowing it was going to be so hot and there wasn't really that many places to get water on the course so typically we were able to survive and I had charged up two bottles I I had a third one and on one section actually had five bottles with me where we knew that the chances of getting water were really low Um, so yeah it was a case of just looking at the next section how far where can I get water and it was a constant planning session of food water and sleep food water sleep so on the food I also had a packet of mega raving mix raisins, chocolate and normal raisins and sultanas, constantly munching those. Um, I also had some energy bars and power power bars and just just a kind of a random mixture of kind of uh, sweets and things. I also had some Ella's Kitchens with me uh, on each leg. So I had a reasonable amount of energy which I could just snack on as I was doing that section. 
Yeah, and then you just seem to be, well, from the photos you sent us, stopping in cafes and eating burgers and shakes and and ice creams and yeah. stuff like that. It was, uh, you did... <laughs> eat what you like. I mean, you, if you're working that hard, you can eat whatever you like. doesn't matter how junky it is, does I think it? All, all the food I had would be considered junk food and probably not that healthy. But there was, it was a lot of uh, fish and chips and burgers. And basically that was the staple diet for the whole week. So typically we, we tried to get one additional meal on the section uh so typically if the, se- the sections were kind of 40 miles long each 45 uh, and we would try and get food in the middle of the section and i'd done a lot of planning for this I and mean, every everyone has to do a lot of planning for it i knew where i could get food i'd been on google street view and had been looking at where the shops were um had a reasonable idea of when they were open uh, in some cases i had the telephone numbers written down so i could call them uh, i didn't need to do that but you do need to have done that level of planning. So, for example, on the third leg between Hadraw and Middleton and Teesdale, uh, we were passing Tanhill Inn. And we kind of knew about 12, 15 hours out from there that we were going to hit that place whilst it was open in the evening. So that became a fixed objective. All right, we're going to hit Tanhill Inn in the evening and we're going to stop and we're going to have an hour break and we're going to order the biggest meal we possibly can and eat that. And that's exactly what we did. And we had the same further up the course, for example, in Dufton as well. So it's just a case of staying on top of it and thinking about how it's going to work. You need to have that kind of strategy. And so sometimes it's no point pushing on to save an hour if you're going to miss a meal. Just slow up a little bit and, and hit that point. Yeah. And I was very much taking the lesson, which was my hard lesson learnt from Thames Path 100, which is I need to eat, which you hammered into me. Yeah. And you're dead right. I didn't eat enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and lots of people have come back since the episode and just said, you know, he's good, just got to learn to eat. Yeah. So I was just scoffing anything and everything. I didn't really care. It, it just went in. And after a day, two days, three days, four days, you you will eat anything. You just like, give me food and you just shove it in. You just become like an engine, really. It just just put, putting stuff in yeah. your mouth. And what was the food like at the aid station? The food was all right. It was like shepherd's pies. There was a curry. Yeah. So it was it was good, hearty, warm food you'd happily eat you know at home and the rest of it and invariably I say with a number of runners they would although they guarantee you'll have one good hot meal because of the number of runners invariably they'll do whatever they can and quite often they had two servings available without question and stuff so in this particular instance so yeah it was all very easy food to eat and exactly what you wanted so that was really cool cool yeah, and of course, they were having to serve this 24-7 further up the course because they had no idea when people are coming in. People are stretched out over days. Yeah, exactly. So you got to Harbour, it's, what, 44 hours, and you get your four hours sleep. How, how do you mm-hmm. feel when you wake up? How are your legs? Legs weren't too bad. It was mainly the feet. I never really suffered any soreness in my legs, unbelievably. And I don't think... While some people had some niggles and bits and pieces, you are doing mostly walking on the whole thing i ran 15 miles of it i thought i was going to run a lot more but that's what i did and the rest of it was effectively power hiked um, i had poles with me so you're keeping up a good pace but really you're power hiking so one of the things i did as a strategy was i was taking uh, my recovery shakes that i'd normally have after a run and what i was doing was taking those when i got to the aid station as soon as i got there i already had them all in sachets and i mixed up a recovery shake and had that with my meal and that might have helped i was also taking multivitamins and vitamin c tablets and things thinking well if i'd finished a run that's what i would do 
that might have helped. Uh, I'm not sure, but I never really had any muscle issues. Um, they were they were tired, but they weren't exhausted. And I think one of the things also is just not doing very much running. Um, you're putting so much load on them all the time. I think the poles helped because that just stops those points where you put excessive load in by transferring it onto your arms a bit. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of, I think, made a difference. Okay. So did you roll your legs while you were there? Yes, I did. Um, I had your super small roller with me. My one was a bit too large and the, the kit bags are uh, only 20 kilograms, which are unbelievably you fill up quite quickly with stuff, especially when you've got to take your energy and gels and food and stuff in the kit bag. So, yeah, I used that a few times on the backs of my calves and stuff to roll out. And I, I thought I might have to do more because I was using the ultras, which is zero drop. But in actual fact, I didn't have too many issues on that side. But it was nice just to be able to roll them occasionally. Cool. Yeah. So out of hard draw. So after hard draw, um, we left there around midday. Uh, 52 hours in uh, head up over one of the one of the major peaks which is Great Shunafell we were worried because part of our race strategy became not walking in the heat of the day but actually it wasn't too bad there's a bit of a breeze on top of the hills uh, it was just able to keep a bit cool so we went over Great Shunafell end up in Thwaite and a beautiful piece from Thwaite to Keld lots of boulders on it which slows you down quite a bit but really beautiful area Went round to Keld and then up to um, Tan Hill Inn, a highest pub in Great Britain. They've got their own snowplough and their own ex-Royal Marines tracked vehicle for getting there in the snow. It really is on its own in the hills. Beautiful pub. I'm just piled in there and had a meal. So Les was with us on this section. And we um, yeah sat down for an hour and had a, a fat boy's meal, which is exactly what we wanted. You're not allowed alcohol on this, by the way, uh, as a safety measure. I could have killed a pint, but hey, hum. Uh, we made the most of the Coke and the orange juice. And fish and chips, I seem to remember. Yeah, yeah. So I had, yeah, scampi and chips uh, with a bit of sticky toffee pudding as well. You're a classy lad, you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also recorded this bit with the team. So whilst, yes, you have the major support at the checkpoints, they also have mobile teams out on the course. And those mobile teams kind of track your part of the field. So we were with Team 3, which consisted of a chap called Peter Gold, who's the leader. And then we had two medics, Ben and Laura. And although we didn't know it at the time, we'd end up seeing them quite a bit up the course. Four or five times we met them. And typically they were kind of halfway between the uh, the checkpoints. Yeah, so here's a bit with them. OK, so hi, I'm Ben. I'm one of the XL medics on the... Uh on the uh, ultra here doing uh, the spine the britain's most brutal summer race um what's your name sorry thane thane yeah. so we've got thane who's doing the 268 mile race and he's doing really well he's here at the uh the tan hill inn uh, which is britain's highest pub at the altitude of 1732 feet um it's a beautiful evening there's lots of midges around and we're all getting bitten <laughs> but no do you want to speak into the phone quite small I like that this is SST3 team leader Peter Gold <laughs> making sure that race number 209 leaves the Tanhill pub sober <laughs> full of food full of water and that the medics actually pass him as acceptable to leave looking at him debatable <laughs> but I'll hand over to chief medic of SST3 Laura who will actually comment accordingly on race number 209, suitability to continue on the Pennine Way. 
This is lead medic Laura from Exile Medics, reporting from Tan Hill Inn on the Pennine Way. So Thane's doing great. He's keeping up with his foot care, keeping up with his hydration, and he's got a good strategy. He knows where he's going, he knows what he's doing, and he knows when he's sleeping and eating. Two very important things. So we're very impressed with how things are going here, and we wish him all the best of luck for the rest of the race. So this is Alec, I've just come down from Scotland to work on the uh, summer fusion race, just seeing this man Thane carrying on on his journey, doing fantastically well, good luck to him. So I've got a sleeping bag in here, I've got a bivvy bag in here. So we stayed there for an hour and we headed off. Then so let's get a feeling here, how many days are we in here? What, we're, where we're, are we? So we are now almost exactly um, two and a half days in. And you've had four hours sleep? So the first sleep we had was five minutes in the field, about 28 hours in. And then we slept for an hour in Malham. We slept in the back garden of the tourist information centre. And then we had four hours at Hadraw. So, yeah, we'd had five hours and five minutes sleep by this stage. Okay. That was probably the answer you wanted. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So you leave Tarn Hill. No, it's not yeah. nice at all. Yeah. But we're approaching halfway now. Um, so uh, you go under the A66 and that section from Town Hill in under the A66 and the moor just the other side can be pretty indistinct. And we hear that moor the other side of the A66 at night. And there are a number of sections of the Pennine Way which are really quite difficult to follow. So we had the three of us as Les, Alan and I. Uh, and we were having to work as a team to get across that moor. We had GPS tracks to follow from the organisers. We also had detailed tracks people had recorded when they'd done the Pennine Way, uh, which are online, anyone can download. And we had several head torches, obviously, we were using, but the path was like inches wide. And it's a lot easier to stay on that than it is to go across the header by yourself. And that was at night. There was no lights around. It was a bit of moonlight, but it was so hard. You could see the horizon uh, because there was no clouds, but you couldn't distinguish from a small hill nearby and a large hill far away. They were completely indiscernible between each other. So the horizon was just bobbling up and down. It was really weird. I guess it's about midnight, is it? Don't, don't you? Twenty past midnight. Mm-hmm. Monday. So twenty past midnight. It's now Tuesday early morning. <clears throat> I'm doing a bit of podcasting, and we are somewhere. Who knows where on North York Moors? No, Northumberland Moors. That's right, isn't it? The Pennine Way is, to say the least, nondescript. Basically. We're following Alan with an accurate GPS track um, and hitting the odd gate, but it's uh, nothing much to see. Uh, We were starting to get tired, obviously, through the back end of that section, but nevertheless, Alan and I certainly weren't planning to stop at checkpoint three. Yeah, we were getting tired, but we wanted to carry on, get a little bit of sleep further up the trail. Yeah. So we arrived at checkpoint three, which was Middleton in Teesdale, almost three days in. So about 70 hours in. And when we got to that A station, we knew that. How many miles is that? That's a very good question, mate. I know it is. I don't know. See, even when you're doing the race, you start to kind of go, I'm not quite sure how many miles we've done. Um, It was approximately 150. Okay. 
so you're over halfway now and we stayed there for approximately an hour and that was it we had food I had my feet done and then recharged the um the backpack etc and and headed straight out and from which that is mad which is but you know when you listen to it that just sounds absolutely mad you've had five hours sleep you get to an aid station you go now nah, let's not bother stopping let's just carry on through we've had five hours sleep in three days how much more how much yeah, sleep exactly. do you need? how much more do you need yeah it's ridiculous we did start to have some other cat naps around that stage so i think in fairness i've probably had five and a half <laughs> which i know doesn't okay. but you start to count them in kind of 10 second bits um i had five minutes uh, or we had five minutes on a reservoir picnic bench at about three o'clock in the morning uh, and also at that aid station to be fair i did log three minutes falling asleep while they were d- doing my feet and bursting my blisters so yeah i was up to uh five hours and 13 minutes i think now but this is where the Pennine way goes west uh, for a while it follows the river and it goes up to a beautiful spot called high cup nick which is lovely uh, glacial valley very symmetrical i sent you the photos those are the ones everyone yeah went, you have we'll have to put we'll have to put that on instagram or something absolutely beautiful place and there was also a bit in this um, as you're on your way there where your gps signals completely dropped out and you all had, it looked like you were all in the same place and there was a worry from us on whatsapp that something had happened and either and i don't think we thought it was you because i think you were behind the group that, that appeared to have stopped already but that you'd stopped yeah. there was a major incident and there was loads of you around trying to sort out some incident but it clearly wasn't it was just the fact that the signals dropped out they couldn't pick up the signals and so you all appeared in this one place for a couple of hours which was a, yeah yeah unknowing for a second online i think it's that valley going up to hike up nick there's nothing really around there at all there was a stop at um cauldron snout a little bit of recording there's from some there. great names some great <laughs> names <laughs> yeah. well there's a little bit of kind of almost rock climbing to do let's say some scrambling for a little while up there had a, there was an extra water stop there because you then go up to hike up nick and you've really got no water for a good kind of 10 miles or so and whilst there, I took the opportunity to record this with the support team. I do a trail running podcast called yeah. Runners on Trail. So just... All right, you're just if, having... If you want to record something or a bit about what it's like up here for a couple yeah. of minutes. What is yeah. it? It's, it's, a, it's a recorder. I thought it was a cigarette lighter. <laughs> I thought he was going to offer me a bag. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll try and fit, you know, a few minutes on the podcast. All right, yeah. So it's recording now, so... Oh, it is all right, brilliant. I, I yeah, just, so you know, we edit it down. Don't yeah, worry. That's fine. Yeah, me and John will just carry on chatting about the views, and yeah, then yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever, and you, you can want. pick up what you yeah. want. We'll just yeah. leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the last two races yeah. that have just come through? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you reckon they'll make it, John? Yeah, yeah the idle bugs have sat under the shade, yeah. scoffing yeah. all our food. That is good, though, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. Like I said, it's the first time I've been here. Yeah, I've never been to somewhere as beautiful that I didn't know about. You know what I mean? I've never seen a picture of this and thought, oh, I'm going to have to go to Cauldron uh, Snout. I've never even heard of it before. And then, yeah. until I sort of, because I've never, I've only done the Challenger, and I've never ever sort of like looked at the course past, No. you know, past that, because I, I, I was too busy trying to learn yeah. the course. Well, we never get to see much more than 100 yards either side of a checkpoint. No, that's right, yeah. And, uh, that's what I've been doing. I've had a, uh, every morning, sort of like before, when we've had a sort of like, like one that's coming in, I've been having a three or four mile run up. Yeah. So I've been wrecking the, the bits of the path. So so I know, at least I know the checkpoints either side of them. Yeah. And then the bits in the middle after, before I do the race, I'll have to 
have a look at that yeah, since yeah. then. I mean, this, this is new, taking photographs actually on the course rather than in a checkbook. Yeah, rather than being Greg's up and... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant actually to get that out, right? Dog being off lead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> new lease of life, it's like... <laughs> well, no, it's been, it's been ace. But I, I do feel like I, we're doing as much running about as the runners, but oh, yeah. Yeah, you get into the checkpoint and if obviously the runners get the priority beds oh, and yeah. that and we get what's left over, <laughs> you'd be on the wall in your, in your bivvy bag somewhere yeah. <laughs> in the car park. But yeah, it's, Man, you uh, know what you're signing up for. Yeah, you, you do, there. don't you? Yeah, that's right. You know what it's... Yeah, if you don't, then you're, you're a bit daft. You <laughs> <laughs> don't come yeah. again, do you? No, that's right. Hey, up one's wanked up. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> hey, you're still moving well. Yeah. If you can go up hills, that's I, I a good sign. And then we'd planned and we were fairly on our speed and pace because we knew Dufton, uh, there was a cafe that was open and that's a, a known place. And even the winter races there, I think that place is open 24 hours a day to support the spine race. So there, cheeseburger and salad, I think. I was a bit more healthier, but also with some um, coffee cake. And we ordered takeaway sandwiches to take up to um And nice people. to take with you. That's, yeah. that's, a really, that's a really good idea. Yeah, you have to be some quite... proper food while you're walking along. It, yeah. it must have been really nice. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you do end up, especially this far into the race, really thinking about food and knowing you've got to have meals as you're going. And, and it's up to you to plan it, think out of the box to do it a little bit. Is that on? Um, it's recording now. This is SST3 <laughs> at the Dufton Postbox Pantry feeding race number 209 yet more cake. Obviously this is um, an extreme elite adventure race where people have to drink their own piss and race number 209 is eating carrot cake. <laughs> I think you get the picture as they sit in the shade whilst it's 30 degrees centigrade for the real tough guys they're eating cake and drinking diet coke and they've even got takeaway sandwiches to take on the hill with them i think they're kind of getting confused between a bimble in the hill and a proper adventure race enough said but then we've got a section uh, where you head up over the highest pieces and those highest points are cross fell and you've got Greg's hat the other side and there we got 20 minutes sleep under a under a radar dish and then um, yeah went up and we went across Crossvale just as the sun was setting so I know I haven't been recording very much during this trip I've got sound bites when we've been at aid stations and stuff but not really very much while we've been out and we've been out a lot mostly walking um well speed endurance hiking i think is the best description yeah there's some running at the start but you know 10 miles at most maybe enthusiastic energy um and then you just uh, you set into a rhythm of what's the most efficient because it's a blooming long thing um we've so this is day so you even lose count of that um day four Anyway, this is what it's generally like. Uh, walking along, um, we're just doing the last big peak of the um, Dales uh, Cross Fell before dropping down towards Alston. And then we've got more of a lower level day going out to Bellingham before a push for the finish. 
Um, so we've got most of it behind us now. Um, I don't know if we're two thirds, probably there, thereabouts. Um, to start with, you're kind of looking at the mileages quite closely, but now you don't even look. It's just like, how far have I got to do today? I don't get what the total is. I know where the checkpoints are. Just, just okay, what's the next section? And it's, things get harder, you just kind of break it down into smaller chunks. Um, it's just a constant drive. It's tough. I know it's not the spine winter, the spine race, um, which to me I think would be extremely hard. It's hard anyway, plus it's cold and miserable, and I hate that. Mind you, I've met people on here, people on the aid stations going. I'd much rather do that than what you're doing because I hate it when it's hot. So maybe it's horses for courses. So at the moment it's me and Alan, Alan and I. Um, been a good day. One of the big things you have to manage in this is sleep. My word. Um, the sleep we've had has been minimal to say the least. Five hours, 40 minutes sleep. Something like that over four days now that's not very much it's like an hour a day and when you're not doing that you're pushing now some people are getting more but that's basically because they're faster walkers or they know the nav better and they're being able to buy themselves a couple of hours which means rather than being having to steal an hour or two they can steal four hours or so um, and and kind of finish around the same time as us and so yeah it's just you look at it on paper and you go, oh, I could start off at maybe three miles an hour because I can walk at 3.7, so that'd be right. And then I might decrease to 2.5. But some of the sections, down at one mile an hour, and uh, it's into you. So, just at the top. So, um, down into Greg's hut. Didn't stop there. It, that Greg's hut is a very famous, almost like Bothy in the northern Pennines where people can just use as a bolt hole, especially in the winter. So we stopped there for five minutes and ate our cheese and ham sandwiches. And then we had a section, which is track. And quite a lot of the Pennine Way, even though on map it looks like a track, and it is a track, it's full of rocks. Obviously, the farmers have to protect that track. Uh, And so invariably, it's not flat to walk on. These aren't very easily runnable things, especially when you're tired. So it was a long section around 10 miles of going down this track. And I was getting really tired at this stage and took a couple of sleeps literally in the ditch at the side of the track i've got a recording actually of a sleep it was me going right i need five minutes sleep and i'm going okay five minutes are you stopping for five or are we two again are we stopping for five or oh i'll stop for five we're here okay we'll stop for five yeah yeah i'm just gonna sleep for five that's all right oh, yeah. I'm going to fucking trust you to kick me in. Yeah, is that about five? We've become quite an effective team at this stage. You know, we knew each other well. Uh, My pace over the ground was slightly quicker than his, but he was very happy doing the odd run to kind of catch up or kind of walk run beside me etc but he was typically a bit quicker through aid stations so he was pushing me in aid stations and I was 
pushing him a little bit on the trail, maybe around pace. So I guess the question is, having done it like that and been pushed, and having done it that way, would you? Is that what you think you want to do again, or would you like to try and do it on your own? It's a difficult one. I'd like to do it on my own, but I'm also a people person, and everyone I think arrived at the race, or most people did. Um, there was no real teams or so but I think about half the runners did team up there was like a couple of threes and a couple of twos and then you know about 10 11 people who were doing it on their own although they were kind of passing each other it looked like because they kind of knew people around them because we've talked before how the problem with with doing that is that your slowest bit becomes their slowest bit as, and then their slowest bit becomes your slowest bit so you if you team up your slow bits just slow each other down you slow each other down yeah. twice effectively i think everyone doing this you've got to submit a kind of a mini cv to take part in this to prove your mountain skills and what you've done etc and so everyone's done quite a lot of stuff and i think everyone's kind of conscious of that Alan's a very experienced ultra runner. He's done some crazy, crazy stuff. And basically every other weekend he's doing an ultra or something. He's done like Tempted the Monarch's Way twice, which is a really hard challenge. I think only three people have ever finished that. 600 miler. He does loads of long distance stuff. Get this. The weekend after we finished, he was sweeping a race. A 71 mile sweep. So the guy's incredible. He's just like a machine. He just keeps going. And, and we knew and we, we talked about how long we were spending and what pace we wanted to do. I think we'd had the same strategy. As you know, I DNF'd on Thames Path 100. He had had a, a DNF on Monarch's Way. And we both really passionately wanted to give a good, solid performance. A good time, but not crazy, but absolutely finish. And we were a similar pace. I know I said I was a slightly faster over the ground, but we're talking kind of fractional. And he was slightly quicker through or slightly more planned on aid stations. He was typically carrying more, slightly more in his pack. um, And I had to kind of, you know, resupply things and things like that in mine as mine was smaller. So now I guess it's a good time to talk very quickly about what you got, what you carried in and what size pack you used and stuff. Yeah. So I used what I'd used on Thames Path 100, Cotswolds Way Century. I used my Ultimate Direction Hard Rocker. Um, which is what, an 11 litre pack? 13 and a half, I think. Is it 13 and a half? Yeah. yeah. Um, but people were quite impressed with what I had in it. So I've done a lot of planning for this. I had a small sleeping bag, bivy sack. Because you're 24 hours in between, it takes you 24 hours effectively or just under to get between the checkpoints. I had all my night gear. So I had two torches. I had pull-on leggings. I obviously had all my safety equipment in terms of my waterproof top and trousers. I had all the food I've already mentioned. I was also taking some fuel with me between sections, which is kind of food you can make up. So it's like a, almost like a half meal. Yeah, it was full, but it wasn't overloaded. So I was really impressed with what I was able to to carry in between sections. I had so some, that actually um, sounds like you're covering effectively quite light. Yeah, quite. It was it was typically what you would have for a hundred mile ultra. Effectively, um, I had a quite a good uh, medical kit with me as well. But I also had managed to fit in there a sleeping bag and a bivy, yeah, um, which I think was the key items. I also had the uh, a fair, fairly good electronics kit as well in terms of the GPS unit. I obviously, have my podcasting bit and um, and uh, a battery charger. You've got to have your phone on you. My phone was effectively on airplane mode half the time, uh, just to save battery. But I could I could charge that up. I had a um, an MP3 player, which was a swimmer's MP3 player, and I've made lots of Velcro bits so I could stick it to the back of it's got small things that come into your um into your ears little um and so i was able to put that on the back yeah, they're, of my they're cap called, they're called he- they're called headphones they are yeah but they're special and small so i didn't have anything <laughs> connecting i didn't have anything connecting my backpack to my head if you see what i mean okay it was all on my head so when you turn your head around it's all there and i had 150 
podcasts I've downloaded. And listened to over. none of them because you were chatting to Alan the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I listened to three or four of them. Okay. So getting into checkpoint for Alston, we were really tired. Uh, and that was the only time we made a, we had, we were navigationally challenged. We almost had a falling out, but straight away Alan and, Alan and I were like in that mode of, look, we're not going to fall out over this. Yeah, I know, we're not going to fall out over this. The path had just gone off slightly to the right and we was re- we were really tired. We just wanted to go to bed. Checkpoint four, one of our reasons for not stopping at checkpoint three and pushing on to checkpoint four was it's a youth hostel and everyone's guaranteed a bed. So we wanted to get there rather than sleep on the trail, particularly or at checkpoint three, which was tense. And we took about 10, 15 minutes to work out where we'd gone wrong. Quite a lot of the, of the path is on farmland. Obviously, you're on the fells and stuff, and then you drop down into village, and you have to go through fields for a while, and lots of styles and stuff. And we just missed one in the in the trees and stuff. But anyway, yeah, it was nice to know that we had cross fell behind us. That was the highest bit of the course. And now we were uh, between checkpoint four and checkpoint five up to Bellingham. You're effectively at a lower level. So d- although the weather forecast was hot, you're, you're down at a lower level, and you can possibly get you know get water a bit easier and stuff like that. So we stopped at Alston for three hours we had a bit of a negotiation i wanted to stop for four adam wanted to stop for two so we agreed three so nice <laughs> stop there with that three hours sleep you're now up to what 10 hours about probably not that no not that much it's probably about eight and a half nine something like that okay and that, ridiculous it is uh, it was the first time in my life you hear quite often hear people say oh, it's amazing what the human body can do. And you kind of accept that and you go, yeah, because you, you see people doing things, don't you? They do long adventures and stuff like that. And, and you're impressed, you know, when you're able to finish ultras and, and, and things. But but genuinely, I was really impressed how much my body could take and how much the bodies of everyone around me can take. When you're there and you've got a challenge and you're pushing yourself on, it, it is incredible the level of abuse it can take. I mean, yeah, we weren't sprinting all the time, running. We, 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 we It was a measured performance. You've only got so much energy. You've only got so much food and calorie burning capacity. And you, you've got to balance off the needs of sleep with with pace and making sure you get to the finish line and you don't blow up on the way or get injuries. But it's incredible when you just keep grinding it out, how long the body can grind out for. It's just amazing. So... That then next day, um, you're going up to. I can see I've even lost track now, even talking about it on which day I was on. <laughs> Do you know? I think it was like day four. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. But we end up um, going up to Bellingham. Um, and on that section, you it is, it's a lower level section. You're going across a, f- a few low level moors and commons through lots of gates and fields. I think your comment you're... was. It's a damn featureless desert out there, Blackadder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were some sections where there was no trail at all. You're just kind of like, right, I know we're, we're on the path, but I don't know where it is. Um, but, but you know, obviously we were very conscious of the, the 500 metre rule and we're, we were absolutely trying our best to stay on the trail all the time because uh, if there was anything to walk on, it was better to walk on that than just beat your own path. And uh, we, I, I had a map all the time. So I always had a map in front of me, which had a nice kind of roller decks around my waistband which people are like oh that's quite cool so I was just able to keep rolling it my daughter came up with that idea uh, so I had poles in both hands and I used that um, and also had the GPS and Alan had his GPS and we had a really good rule of you know we need to double check each other all the time you're quite tired and it's not a, it's not that you don't trust the other person it's just staying on it 
so we we weren't shy to so both of us were were map, well i was map reading and navigating gps alan had done the course several times before um he'd done the shorter one and the longer one once before so he knew he kind of knew it a bit in his head and um using his gps and stuff um yeah went up to hadrian's wall my parents were there which is really nice met them in greenhead um only for about 10 15 minutes at a, a water stop they'd put in so yeah it's nice to chat to them uh medics were there again it was uh ben and laura headed over hadrian's wall which i always think isn't that far a section but actually it does go up and down a fair bit the nice bit then is you head north again and you start heading north to the finish so you've done an westerly section and now you've done hadrian's wall and easterly section headed up through the forest and up to bellingham and that's when i had one of my probably my major medical issue apart from my slightly progressive deterioration in terms of feet and that was a really weird bit where i suddenly lost binocular vision in my eyes which is really weird it's just where the muscles shut down and all of a sudden they both effectively pointing forwards or they they were pointing in parallel so i could steer them left and right and up and down but i was double visioned uh, i was double visioned for just over about an hour and uh, obviously took straight away to alan and i just followed in his footsteps so i wasn't falling over but yeah, it's just really weird how when you get super tired, how the bits, you know, you think of your vision as just one system, but actually there's lots of bits to it. And it's like the hallucination bit, isn't it? Your eyes are seeing, but your brain's taking shortcuts and and can't join things together. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the point here is there's not really much of a surprise that you're having problems with your vision when you've slept nine hours in six, five, six days. Yeah, it? I think we were approaching um, five days now. So yeah, so so we got there, um, had two hours sleep in a tent. Obviously, had a meal, um, had a, a, a nice chat with Ali, who did my uh, who did my feet there. Spent a good time sorting them out. They'd suffered quite a lot on the section before. Don't know why this isn't draining. Not looking forward to it. I've got your name. Sorry, Ali. 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 That's right. My name's not important. It is really too. My feet are really cool. <laughs> So I'm here with Annie, who's doing a sterling job trying to get all the pus. Just liquid. Liquid out of my blisters. Oh, and tape, <laughs> and taping them up. And, but why, Annie? Why, why, why are you giving up your spare time on holiday? I to took do annual this? leave today, though. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I'm just doing it to make sure that you guys finish because you're also very inspirational. Because otherwise, it would be much more difficult for you guys to go walk yeah, 268 yeah. miles. I don't think we would do it. On broken feet. Yeah. The so. ultra shuffle. Yeah. That sounds like a dance, the ultra shuffle. Yeah. I feel like at the end, you need to have some sort of little dance now. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for all your help. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, it'd be great. Good to meet you. I look forward to uh, following your progress in January. Yeah, taking forever. I'll probably see you then. So, How does yeah. that feel yeah. now? There's still a little bit in there. <laughs> it feels all right. It feels better now. Yeah. We'll just wait a minute, and I just want to make sure it doesn't swell up again. Yeah, yeah. We'll do the other one. I'll pop the one on the side that I missed. Yeah. You're, but you're, you're a uh, in nursing. Paramedic. And this, to a certain degree, helps your ambitions in that area? Um, it will help me long term, 
So the more experience you can get in this profession, the better, because basically on paper everyone looks the same. Yeah. Um, so anything you go and do that's not what everyone else is doing is just a bonus. Yeah. And I love being outside, and I find going and meeting people that are really inspirational, that are doing really cool things, really like motivating. I've had the greatest week. It's literally I've been being on a holiday, meeting some amazing people, makes you actually want to go for a run for like the first time in years. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll go and get that. So yeah, sure. Okay. I'm sure I'll go home on Monday and be like, mm, probably not. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> for now, I'm super excited yeah, to go for a run. Just, uh, you want me to pad yeah. this one as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you're interested in expeditioning and stuff. Yeah, mainly the like humanitarian aspects. So I'd love to go to like Africa or the Middle East or something and just work for like a Doctors Without Borders kind of organization. Yeah. Just doing medic medical care for the people that just aren't going to get out from anyone else. Yeah. I think that would just be the greatest thing ever. And then just do this for fun. <laughs> Have you had other things to do this week other than repair feet? No, just feet. I baked a birthday cake yesterday. Oh, okay. So, I suppose that was something to do. That's cool. It was one of the medics' birthdays, so... But no, it's just feet, really, which is good. I don't I don't want to do it's anything yeah. other feet. Yeah, I haven't seen that. No, I heard that it's coming, it was coming. Because that means something's gone yeah, wrong with one of you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think at this point everyone's very invested in everyone finishing. Yeah, yeah. How is that feeling? Because it's still a little bit full, but I think. I think you've probably, you've probably done as much as you can possibly do. I don't think it will drain. Um, and I think I'm just going to end up hurting you if I keep poking Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you've done as much as you can do, and that's really appreciated. I think. I'm sorry. You're taking forever to do it. I just want you to be comfortable for your last yeah. bit. But obviously, I don't want you to sit here all day getting your feet done. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. I think we're done. Brilliant. Thank you very much indeed, Ali. So I think now I'd, I'd, I'd had um, around five blisters, but they weren't extensive. My feet were being rated as level two. So they had a bit of a rating system of one to ten, ten being really bad. Alan's feet were always zero because he never had any issue with them at all. Um, that's what happens if you do lots of ultras. But mine, mine were only level two. Basically, yeah, I had five and six blisters or so. Yeah, they hurt a bit, but they were being drained. But there was no, there was nothing wrong with them. They were just standard blisters. Yeah, one on the bottom of one of my feet and then some around the heels and stuff but it was manageable the, the major problem wasn't the, the, the blisters and things which were being well looked after it was just the constant trail coming up through the shoe it was like someone had little pinball hammers and was just tapping the bottom of your foot all the time and it's like a bit like water torture it's just like one drip doesn't hurt but millions of them just add up um, and so they were just tender and there's nothing much I could do really about that but by now you were kind of living with it and you know, it just became part of the daily routine. So that last section going up to Kirk Yathom, uh, um, it was, although the forecast at the start of the race was, it was going to be hot and then it was going to be slightly cooler as we went up the course. Actually, it started hot and got hotter every day. And there was a long section with uh, no water, a couple of long sections with no water. So we had extra water with us. We'd taken on board. We had bought some bottles which filled up. And it was so hot that 
the tarmac was starting to melt on the roads. It was actually bubbling up like little bubbles. And there was a section where we were walking and the tar was bubbling underneath our feet, which is really weird. Um, headed back through the forest up to Baroness. Um, had last medical stop there or last water stop before going up onto the Cheviots, which is the last section, which is like a 25 Which is section. notorious in the winter. Everyone says the Cheviots is the worst bit in the winter. Yeah, there's no respite in it at all. It's not like a lot of the other areas where there's always a farm you can get to quite quickly. You're kind of 10 miles away from anywhere. There's a couple of bothies on that section specifically for that purpose um, called Hut 1 and Hut 2. Um, which were manned in this instance um, there was one person in hut one and there was a team at hut two like seven miles out from the finish and I was really emotional at that stage and even now I'm not quite sure what it was a mixture of heading up onto um, onto the Cheviots it's an exposed oh, maybe section it was a, maybe it was the fact that you'd had nine hours sleep in five days yeah I think I was up to I think I was up to ten now or ten and a bit because um, I had the two hours at Bellingham um, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe ten and a half hours, I think. There's also the feeling that within only probably about 12 hours, I was going to be back in normal life. My parents were going to pick me up and take me back down. And in 24 hours from that point, I was likely to be back in Bristol um, having a beer and, you know, quickly catching up with you and stuff like that, which we duly yeah. did. It's a really weird feeling of having been like on the trail for six days and living this very human existence of being on your feet and travelling and having this experience and moving across the land and worrying about food and water and not worrying about email or work or this or that or the other. Bliss. Yeah, and then just going back to normal. And so there's there all manner of emotions and the exposure of that section and just being maybe a little bit nervous, I don't know, and knowing you were going to finish and things yeah it was it was strange but that was that was we were super did tired did you cry did i didn't you cry? i i it's the same in these uh, when done 100 milers and saving this i think i will you get to, you imagine yourself being at the finish at this stage because you're kind of nearly there you're kind of on the home straight and you think oh when i get to the finish i'm gonna lose it but when you get to the finish i never have lost it um so uh, i didn't cry no no and in fact that was a really hard section we went from hut one to hut two and we just got slower and slower and slower it was at night uh and we had to stop i think we stopped four times we had four sleeps in the heather literally just say right alan i need to sleep or he would say thane i need to sleep and he literally just collapse off the side of the trail which for most of that a lot of that section is actually these stones which go across the moor they protect the the pennine way quite a bit in sections and you've got these like flagstones but they're really narrow and a bit uneven because obviously they just settle into the ground and when you're tired you're just kind of falling off them all the time and we had a couple of runners go past us but effectively um yeah we just had to we had to stop and our pace just dropped and kept dropping um alan had this section we said get me my water get me my water i gave it to him and he's just throwing it over his face and slapping himself around the face to get a grip and eventually it was i was getting really kind of annoyed with the trail and really annoyed and we just ended up getting really angry with the trail and going right god damn it and just powered through and and powering up and said we're gonna to get to the top of the hill and we just kind of yes come on we're gonna do it come on do it. we just kind of stormed it for an hour an hour and a half got up to the top and that's the kind of the the cheviot and then you turn down and then it's all basically downhill well there's a couple of hills but basically downhill to kirk Yethom, and that was the kind of the turning around point you're definitely on the home straight and we powered it stopped at um hut two uh, for just 10 minutes and then we had our target didn't we 
because we could finish in just under six days but it was really hard to achieve they said we don't think you're going to do it typically you need three hours from here and we had like two hours 20 two hours 25 minutes they said you're going to be pushed maybe so we were pushing really fast and we ran i think of that last six miles we ran over just over three miles of it um and two miles out you end up hitting a track and then your road and we were going as fast as we could we we logged a uh, an eight minute mile i think no that's rubbish no we we, we were doing 11 minute miles anyway which i was that um five miles now five six seven i think we hit uh, eight miles an hour at one stage coming into cook and yeah we i think we finished in exactly six days and three seconds by my gps track we were sprinting down at the end but anyway i'm going to put down six days dead um actually i think you can take six days for yeah, that the, 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 your boxes um the trackers you wear they geofence um so they have to they registered about one and a half minutes later but anyway so my official first uh, finish time was six days one minute and 38 seconds and, and that's the same for everyone obviously so it takes a little while for your gps unit to sync it but anyway by the second we were pretty much bang on six days which was really nice we had a 24 hour spare we do this. Yeah. There we are. The strap. In front. The We're just finishing. We are panting like bugger. Because yeah. we are five minutes from getting in in under six days. Have you enjoyed it? Yes, thoroughly. It's been a good team. Yeah. It's been good. I mean, at times it's been so hard. Oh, right. Um, but you know what? You just keep ticking off the days, don't you? Do you? You don't think, oh, it's just lovely. Yeah. It's all your thing, though. It's because I'm into it, isn't it? I have Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever run really funny. the I Thank you very much indeed. Well Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, and it was interesting. You, you, you're, we've talked about cutoffs before, and you were 
veering and hauling in between the cutoffs, you know, a little bit, we, you'd start to eat into it and then you push it out again, start to eat into it, let you push it out. And they clearly set it up so that the cutoffs at each of the checkpoints, there's more time at the end than there is at the beginning. Funny old thing. Yeah. I think by, by the checkpoint one, I think we were, what, nine hours up on the closure. But, and, and then, and then we were able to just slowly increase that so that at the end, I think, we well, yeah, at one hours. point, I think, at one point, I think you were about thirty-six hours ahead, but you did so you did into eat into that a bit, but um, yeah. Oh right, okay, yeah, but yeah, I, I think they they do push you slightly harder over certainly the first checkpoint into the second one. I mean, obviously, the, 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 those same checkpoint closure times are used in the winter race as well. <laughs> so yeah, when the weather can be really tough and you've got like sixteen hours of darkness rather than sixteen hours of light. In fact, we probably had about seventeen, eighteen hours of uh, light. To be fair. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's in the winter bit. You know, the summer brought its own challenges in terms of the heat and stuff. But I guess the bit that you couldn't probably have done in the winter that you did in the summer was just go, I'm just going to fall off the side of the trail and just lie there and go to sleep. In the winter, that would have been not a good thing to do. No, no. I mean, yeah, in the winter one, you've got to take a winter sleeping bag and a winter winter, um, typically tent or bivvy. But you're right, it's not quite as easy as it was in the summer especially this summer the previous summer they suffered a lot with wind and rain quite a few people who were taken off with hypothermia in the last year's summer's one we, we had the opposite, opposite right. problem of too much heat but yeah but it's funny as we were going up the trail that you get alan who's uh done the winter one going oh you could sleep there oh i've never seen that before because no typically it's night all the time when you're doing the the spine he was seeing things that he'd never seen before because there was a lot of this was done in light um so like, oh you could sleep there oh look at that's a nice that's a nice bus stop you could definitely sleep in that thing and, and, and yeah it's really uh really strange so i guess uh, we you were talking about food and nutrition and stuff did, did you find it you know we, when you run an ultra you you you're topping up at aid stations and it's as you we pre- previously said typical aid station fare normally of jelly beans and jelly babies and crisps and nuts and i guess the thing here is did it feel nicer to be able to stop and have that time to sit down and, and eat real food because you kind of had to? So was there pressure to not eat or did you think, was it easily a thing of, no, there is, we have to make time, there's no pressure to not stop and eat? It was more the latter. It was very apparent in terms of pace and, and energy levels and hunger that you needed to have a decent meal every now and again i think if you were racing this like in the winner finished in what was it three days and three and a half days three three days and four hours or something which is crazy then yeah you're doing it fast enough that maybe you could you didn't need to have so many of the big meals but but for us who were finishing in six days we needed big meals Uh, and then it became yeah we're not going to stop for long but we are definitely going to stop for an hour and typically you know day three four five and six we kind of stopped for an hour to have some kind of lunch or evening meal and uh, we were arriving in the checkpoints typically in the early hours of the morning at five six o'clock or so and so somewhere in that leg we would invariably stop and have a have a proper meal and that was nicer yeah and again it seemed for me watching it online that you know if, if you're not stopping in the country pubs and you're not stopping in the ye oldy tea shoppies on your way around you're kind of missing out on a bit of the a mm. bit of the race yeah, I think so. It's part of the whole experience of it. And a lot of the places on the route, they they know what the spine is. They know about the spine, the, you know, the summer spine. And they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're okay, you're with the racers. They're not bothered, you know. And in the winter one, some of them open up especially to support you. So, yeah, I think that's it. It's part of that thing, the weirdness of being on a fell and then coming down and literally just... <laughs> 
falling apart in some cafe and ordering a cake and a, and a chip butty and and then getting back on it again so yeah it was it was nice it was it was part it definitely felt like part of the journey i have to say that the, the bit that got me is you know the beautiful little villages you were going through just the amazing views um you know the photos you were sticking up on the whatsapp group i think you should do a little montage of those and we'll stick them up on instagram because they were just amazing views yeah i i felt very lucky to be doing it in the summer yeah it was very hot but that afforded us extremely good views all the time yeah there's some beautiful bits uh, and and those bits will stay with me you know i i i really enjoyed it i knew it was going to be tough and sometimes romantically in my head or whatever the word is i kind of go oh i i could have gone faster but i was i was shattered at the end of it from sleep and exhaustion but i recovered very quickly and my skeletal muscles and stuff like that um skeletal muscle system whatever you call it was was fine i was extremely tired and my feet were very sore but i really miss it (laughs) and i miss what the weird thing was one of the one of the motivations for it ended up becoming that you wanted to finish to be respectful to the people that supported you doing it um they were there for you and you really had this real sense of family and community around that around the spine race or the 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 spine um races as it were and over the summer ones the fusion and the flare yeah people have done the winter ones before but invariably the people supporting it have done the race and people who are doing the race have also supported it so yeah, we've talked about that about the bob graham and things like that haven't we about yeah. you know do it doing it right yeah and so there was a, a really high level of respect between everybody everyone you know people were like oh yeah no i'm gonna support it next winter are you gonna run it and this it's almost like you know montaigne set up the challenge and then there's this whole community of people and one group of people go yeah we're gonna run it and the other ones go oh okay we'll support you doing it and then on the next one we'll we'll swap and it's just kind of this yeah and, and i know some people just just run it and don't support and some people support and don't run but a lot of people seem to do both and 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 they were like you know when you've got like half of a doctor or half of a nurse or a paramedic supporting you for the whole week effectively and they've given up their holiday to come and help you do it that's a big source of motivation for you to get to the end and it was almost out of respect of those people that you're like no i'm gonna i'm gonna finish it for ben and laura and peter you know they've been they've been with me on this journey and they're like come on guys you're doing great and you're like yeah and you want to do it for them yeah um it's just incredible um incredible level of support incredible group of people um and it really it really was like a family i I can't you know probably bleating on about it but it it was it was really nice yes you are bleating on about it but that's nice yeah so i'd like to go back and do it in five days that'd be my lovely thing i'd like to do i think that's as fast as i could do it that would be a nice challenge for me yeah i mean 24 hours off is quite a lot yeah and i'm planning to do that i want to go and do this again so I want, okay. I want to do it. I want to do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna drag you into a week's worth of watching a blip go up the, <laughs> the centre of the UK. Well, I might I might even come, I, I I wouldn't mind doing it myself, but only on a year where weather's, the weather's nice. I don't want to run it in the rain. I mean, because that's the bit you talk about sleeping off the edge of the trail, and you but you're doing that within your head. I suspect of it being like it was this year. Whereas, of course, if it was hammering it down and wet and cold, that would have been completely different, probably. I, I think you do have to approach this kind of race with a very adaptable strategy. You don't know how it's going to yeah. be, and, and therefore you need to cover the bases, and, and you have to adapt as you go. Um, 
so statistically 30 people registered for the event i think 29 started and 22 finished so that's not a bad that's um, not a bad rate. yeah finish rate at all i think for the la- for the one they did last year the finish rate was only 50 percent, but but it was quite wet and windy and people had pulled out with um hypothermia or got pulled off the course with hypothermia which placed me um with alan um 15th oh no yes yes oh, way no. you know oh, what that means no. you're proper mid-pack proper mid-pack <laughs> if you yeah I, i'm gonna have to buy your t-shirt now yeah or maybe t- <laughs> typically for me like one one position after mid-pack <laughs> so that's my typical but yeah effectively yeah if you if you count all the starters and stuff and you you, you count turning up at the start line as uh, you know um as being a thing as well then yeah 15 out of 30 or 15 out of 29 it's not bad is it i'm all right happy with that that's right you're a proper mid-pack proper mid-pack runner i mean i don't need to ask you if you want to do it again and if you do it again because you've said yes i guess the question is you, you, you know having done it does it make you want to go even more gnarly ultra or is there a bit of this that goes do you know what i, I i've pushed myself now i don't need to go more gnarly ultra um, it's made me want to do two things it's made me appreciate what you get out of trail marathons and ultra and your kind of shorter do i say it um ultra marathons it's made me want to do some 50 milers like transvolcania the kind of sporty ones to get that side of things because this is a very different kind of thing this felt more like a fast paced expedition if you know what i mean rather than a kind of a running race so it's made me want to do some of that but it has also opened up this appetite for doing these these longer ones so for example i'm i'm balling and doing some research into tour de jean which is also run by montaigne um which is in italy it's a 200 and 205 mile i know the one yeah yeah so it's made me want to do that one um and it's made me want to do the winter spine as well Oh, really? Yeah, and I'm already looking at kit. And it was weird, because when I was doing it, I, I was imagining myself going... When I was on the trail, thinking, God, if you did this in January, this could be horrific. Just imagine the exposure. I'm never going to do the winter one. This just isn't for me. I feel the cold and stuff. And I enjoyed it so much. And people kept... A couple of people said to me, Oh, you were... um, um, You were really... You planned it a lot. You'd be good. Well, you do see do you think you'll do the winter one? Would you like to do the winter one? And I was like, nah, 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 nah. And now I finished. I'm like, maybe. And my maybe's mm. turned into a, yeah, I think I'd like to do it. And, and now I'm, I'm now I'm thinking about how I would do it. But what I would, if I was going to do the winter one, um, I need to get confidence in the mountains in harsh conditions. And there's no, you know, you, you need to have got the system that works for you. And I don't have a, you know, I'm not in the mountains, I haven't been in the mountains in the cold since I was probably in my 20s and I don't have that gear and I need to get that confidence because you do have to imagine that you would be and full respect for anyone that takes on you know the spine the winter one 18 hours of darkness you could be in the wind and the ice and the rain on your own for long periods of time that's going to have a a large um, psychological burden yeah no, I get that properly tough properly tough it's just totally unforgiving yeah so i hope you've enjoyed listening to thane witter on about spy feud (laughs) (laughs) 
mate, it was, it was an incredible effort, and um, uh, we're all very proud that you did it. So well done. Um, please subscribe to the podcast, and if you want to get in contact with us, you can email us. We're runnersontrail at gmail dot com. We're on Twitter and Instagram at runnersontrail. We are. So please join us back uh, in August when we should definitely. Uh, have a recording uh, i'll have done the lulworth cove trail marathon so we'll put someone on here about that and i'll also probably by the time we've recorded it have also done squamish so we'll see how that's gone as well yes so check us out yes we'll are, you looking, are, you, are you looking forward to it uh yes and no i've really not done enough training and i'm not really getting enough sleep at the moment so i just i'm just yeah it's it, nothing's good at the moment but we'll see um okay. there's a little bit of me that's thinking about not doing the whole event um i'm thinking about just going down and doing the 50 miler instead and not do it going back for the second day but i want to keep the intention of doing the whole thing yeah but i'm just not sure okay we'll okay anyway check us back out in august runners on trail